The Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are saving you thousands on select Daikin heating systems. Upgrade to a Daikin high-efficiency heating system from Legacy today and spend the season warm and worry-free. Get thousands in rebates and federal tax incentives and enjoy flexible financing to suit your budget. Daikin systems deliver unbeatable comfort, cleaner, safer indoor air, and energy savings. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to view exclusive offers and get qualified now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the weekly YouTube show that focuses on Notre Dame football all year round. We're usually on Monday nights at 7 o'clock, and that's where you find yourself tonight with our snazzy new open with snowing snow coming from the ground going up into the air and <laughs> counting down from 30 to 1. So we've added math to the show. We'll never forget your questions, which you could start submitting now. We'll work them into our conversations about Notre Dame football. And there's all kinds of other things you need to do, including that we hope you do, including hitting the like button and ringing the bell and all that stuff. Tyler's better at that than I am. Tyler is the guy in the other square that hasn't said anything yet. And take it away, Tyler. I, I was going to try to go the whole show, whole show without saying anything, but you, <laughs> you foiled my plan a minute in. Uh, yeah, please make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Uh, hit the subscribe button that's there on your screen. Hit the bell to receive reminders when content goes live on our YouTube um, and make sure you hit the like button. Uh, and we want you to comment throughout the show to submit questions. Um, you can click through to ask questions. Make sure you're on YouTube, whether it's in the app or on uh, a mobile device um, or on the desktop. Uh, make sure you've clicked through. You don't want to be watching us embedded somewhere you can watch us that way but you won't be able to submit questions to us that way so make sure you click through you'll see a chat box on the right hand side if you're on a desktop version of some sort um, if you are on a mobile device you should have a chat box below our talking heads if you are not a subscriber to insideindysports.com um, we have a 30-day free trial available to you our youtube audience use promo code ndyt which is exclusive um, to our our viewers over here on youtube um, when you sign up, you can get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge, which is where we spend a lot of our time and share our inside information first over on our message board. Uh, there is a link to sign up um, and take advantage of that deal in the video description below. All right. Well, we are taking stock of Notre Dame tonight heading into February. The Irish started spring semester classes and winter workouts a couple weeks ago. And they're closing in on the start of spring practice at a yet-to-be-determined date in March. We do have the end date for spring practice, the last of the 15 spring practices, which is the blue-gold game. That will be April 20th at 1 p.m. Eastern time at Notre Dame Stadium. And yes, Peacock is the way to watch it if you're not in the stadium that day, or you can boycott Peacock, and we will take your complaints about that. <laughs> Where we will start tonight... Our opening drive is the players who need to take advantage of the winter workouts, who most need to take advantage of the work, winter workouts. I did a story a couple weeks ago before they had started the, uh, the winter workouts, and I focused on seven returnees, um, and that was before we knew the new heights and weights. We also have 15 early enrolled freshmen. We have six of the eight transfers that are involved in winter workouts full go. Then we have two others that are somewhat involved. They are taking remotely their classes that will help them get their degrees. That's Bo Collins from Clemson and Rod Hurd II from Northwestern, but they are living in South Bend in the beautiful weather of South Bend. Hmm. And they are able to do some things. They're able to go to some team meetings. Uh, they're able to do lifting when the team is not doing team lifts and so forth. So they're participating in some way. So we're going to start with Tyler's top picks uh, among the returnees who needs to most take advantage. And I think you have a couple broken down this, even a couple of categories that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. Not, to me, there's sort of two different category, main categories of players um, that I'm most interested to sort of track this winter into the spring. 
Um, and that's guys that are maybe in some sort of now or never situations where it's like this is this is the winter and spring that they really need to take advantage of in order to um, increase their playing time. And if that doesn't happen, maybe the opportunity passes them by um, and either they leave Notre Dame or they're just stuck in a backup role and having to wait um, for another offseason to try to surge ahead or maybe even an injury. I mean, there's obviously plenty of different paths to the, to the field. Um, but I think uh, big off-seasons for these guys could help them the most. Um, and then I think these, the other category is sort of maybe y- mostly younger guys that are in a position, I think, to take big strides to really improve their play on the field um, and their roles um, expanding um, beyond that. So I think um, those are the two categories I want to discuss. If you guys have suggestions um, for that, for either of those categories, please chime in. Disagreements, agreements as well. Um I wanted to start with the now or never guys because to me those are probably the most interesting. Um, Hopefully, no freshmen are on that list. No, no, no freshmen. Um, although part of the conversation I want to have is is maybe a sophomore that I think uh, sort of feels like it's maybe in that position, but we'll get to that. Um, the first guys I think are both of the offensive tackles. Um, I guess not both, but because Charles Jagas I ended up being a starter um, at left tackle, but Emil Wagner and Tosh Baker. Um, I think it's sort of a now or never situation for those guys. Emil Wagner, just a, it doesn't seem that he's necessarily been physically – he's been physically put in the best position um, because of his strength um, to be able to push through and, and find playing time. Now it was always going to be hard for him to do that through Joe Alt or through Blake Fisher. But now the opportunity is certainly there for him and has – his previous seasons and off seasons put him in a position now where he can take advantage of one more winter workout and spring to put him in a position to potentially start next season. Um, I think there's a path for that. Um, but if it doesn't happen this year and maybe he gets passed up, what, what, what does it look like moving forward for Emil Wagner? Um, Tosh Baker is just towards the end of his career in general. He's a much more veteran player. Um, and so this is, it's sort of on the, I think he's more of a right tackle than a left tackle. Um, I think the coaching staff would agree with that. And uh, can he can he win out there? Can he man that spot and really um, take advantage of one last shot here um, as a Notre Dame offensive lineman? So, or two two guys I had on my list. What are your What are your thoughts on that, Eric? I had Emil Wagner. Now I didn't break mine down. It's a now or never. I just put returnees all in one box, but I put Emil Wagner as the number one guy. Really, I feel like, you know, he came in close to 260 pounds as a June enrollee a couple years ago, and he's at 284 going into winter workouts. And so he's put on considerable weight, breathtaking athletically in high school, Mm -hmm. um, really good basketball player, state champ in the shot put, just great footwork. And it feels like the thing that has held him back is the weight. And so it's just been putting on the weight slowly but surely. So it's good weight, you know, not fast food and that kind of stuff, but really good muscle. And I think that's the reason he didn't start in the Sun Bowl when there was an opportunity to start at one of the tackle spots. Really, he was battling Tosh Baker. The coaching staff decided early on Charles Jaguza was going to be one of those tackles and then the other two had to kind of fight for it. But I have, I've been on the Emil Wagner fan club since he was, he enrolled and so forth. I got a chance to spend some time talking to him just before he enrolled and really, really enjoy him. He's also one of my favorites because he's the one guy that fooled the entire recruiting industry when he announced for Notre Dame. Even Notre Dame thought he was going to pick a different school and he ended up picking Notre Dame. So he gets points for that. But yeah, I think the strength gains and the mass is what's holding him back. So he would, um, I don't know that it's necessarily now or never, but with, with Charles Jagas position as well as he is and Garby Lambert coming on campus in June, who's, really an interesting prospect, a six foot seven kid mm-hmm. who's very athletic and who's already bigger than a meal. 
that may be difficult to hop over both of those guys. All right. Uh, next guy I had on my list was Dion Colsey at wide receiver. Um, had an injury issue last season um, that hurt any potential progress that he had. Um, and just feels like a spot where Jaden Thomas is clearly ahead of him. Is there a role for him in the offense? What what can he do to surge there? I mean, there's certainly plenty of catches to be had because we're talking about an offense that's not bringing back even even most of its leaders from last season at a, at a pretty depleted wide receiver group. Um, so this seems like a really important winter and spring for Deion Colsey to assert himself to be able to be a mainstay in, in the rotation for Notre Dame's uh, passing game. Um, I think there's some skills there, but it just hasn't been a consistent um, threat uh, throughout his career. And so this feels a little bit like a now or never situation um, for Deion Colsey. What do you think about that, Eric? I think certainly for spring, and I guess the winter workout part of it would be just strengthening his leg coming back from the arthroscopic surgery. That timeline really lagged. That He was supposed to be back in October. He didn't come back until the bowl game. Right. The the thing that I there's two things I really like about Deion Colsey. One is he has made clutch catches. He just hasn't had a lot of catches over his career, but he's made some big third down catches for Notre Dame. I feel confident in with with him holding on to the ball. Um, the other thing is the mental growth with him. I think there was a lot of homesickness, and am I really in the right place for his first year on campus? He seems a lot more confident now, but you're right about kind of being boxed in. Not only is uh, is Thomas, Jaden Thomas, ahead of him, you know, there's, I, I'm sure that they could be creative with finding ways to get him on the field, but then Bo Collins is coming in at kind of the same position as those two guys, a pretty accomplished guy at Clemson, and he'll start competing for that in June and, and, be involved, like I mentioned before, and some things to the side living in South Bend. But yeah, I, I do think Deion Colsey is a guy who, when he gets to the end of spring, is going to have to kind of take stock and say, okay, where am I here in my Notre Dame career? How much does this degree mean to me? Have I been able to push towards the top of the depth chart? Again, mm -hmm. a really good athlete. I, I remember uh, when we were at the South Bend Tribune, trying to post videos for the first time. And that was uh, that was something Tyler probably could have done in about two minutes. It took me a <laughs> lot longer. But I got a lot a chance to watch him run sprints as I was trying to post these. And I believe he was the state high jump champ in Georgia. He was either the champ or the runner-up. So really good athlete. I've, I've always liked Dion. And uh, I agree, this is a now or never time for him. Uh, next on my list was Junior Tuihalamaka, uh, a, a Viper who moved from linebacker who seems to, at least last season, maybe lost out on a role in comparison with Joshua Burnham. Now we expect Joshua Burnham to move over to the other side, so this opens another opportunity for Junior Tuihalamaka, but I think Bubakar Traore could be coming uh, fast there for some playing time. So I think this winter is really important for Junior Tulio Halamaka to physically develop. And whether it's size or athletic ability or strength, some combination of those things need to come together for him to be able to put something out there that allows him to have some sort of standout ability at that viper position. It's something that I don't know that I've seen a lot of personally from my view vantage point. Um, and so he seems like maybe an odd man out there if that's if that doesn't happen. Um, this winter and then going into the spring. Uh, so I think this is a big time for Junior Tuli Halamaka. What kind of role can he carve out um, for himself by putting himself in a, be a better position physically? Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I'm not sure what what I would look for him from a strength. You know, I, I think he needs to be more twitchy. Can right. strength and conditioning coordinators do that? Yeah, they work on those kind of things. He doesn't seem to have great pass rush moves, and he was a middle linebacker for a long time. The guy is super smart. He's a hard worker. He's six foot one, too. So I think that hinders him a little bit in how much weight you can put on. 
mm-hmm. and and it be good weight for him. And you're right. I mean, there's people coming up behind him. I, I think he would probably breathe a sigh of relief when Logan Thomas came in at 196. <laughs> so he's not going to challenge right away. But Bubakar Traore, I think, can challenge all the way to the top of the depth chart. I, I'm really eager to see what he does in the spring. He was on my list of guys that could really help themselves in the weight room because he was 237-ish. Um, and if he gets into the 240s and pushes towards 250, he could be a real handful. thing I like about Junior, besides his intelligence, he does seem to play the run pretty solid, but he's got to be more of a pass rush threat at that position. Yeah, I I have Bubakar on my other other half of the list with the guys that are younger that are in position to do big strides. So we are on the same page there with Bubakar Traore. Um, last guy I have um, in the now or never category is Tyson Ford. Um, has moved around along the defensive line between defensive tackle and defensive end. Where's his fit? And I think a lot of that does. Has, I mean, I think Notre Dame needs to be clear of what they want from him, and that informs what he does in terms of the winter workouts in terms of trying to get bigger, get faster, um, trim down. I think the, he's been kind of fluctuating a lot, trying to make himself most useful. And there haven't been a lot of uses for him so far in Notre Dame's defense on Saturday. So um, I think this is a big chance for him to do that. Um, the, the absence this spring of Gabriel Rubio maybe opens the door for some more op- opportunities there as well. Um, so I think these these winter months are really important for Tyson Ford. Um, and I know it's still maybe feels a little bit early in his career to feel like that, but it could be a bit of a now or never situation for Tyson Ford. What do you think about that inclusion? Well, I think his mom should be the MVP there because her Twitter account, I think, quells a lot of the he's going to transfer rumors because she seems to be very patient with the process and kind of conveys that he is being patient. But I, I agree with you. This is the time, I think, this is on both Notre Dame and Tyson Ford to make a move there. And I, I think we've seen Tyson show up in the 290s. We've seen him in the 270s. Right now he's 279 or going into winter workouts he was. So he was more of a field end size, but kind of an in-between size. Do you Do you knock some of that weight off? I remember in last year's blue gold game, seeing that burst on the outside and thinking, why is it he not at field end all the time? Mm-hmm. There seems to be more uncertainty at that position. I think there's a lot of really cool candidates at that position. But if I were him, I would pick that over the interior defensive line if I wanted to get on the field this year. I think Gabe Rubio will eventually be back. And I think you're going to have a harder climb at interior defensive line. And I think some of the younger people have maybe passed him or will pass him. Not all of them at the same position. I think Donovan Heinish goes back and forth. But um, I think Devin Houston is starting to gain traction at that, at at an interior position. And so, yeah, and Tyson Ford, high, high pedigree guy. I mean, a top 50 recruit. And again, whenever we ask about him, the coaches are very complimentary, but then it doesn't show up in playing time and opportunity. And then I have one person that I think is between the two lists, and that was part of the reason why I chose him for the thumbnail cover photo, and that's Drake Bowen. Um, Certainly a young player, hasn't had a ton of opportunities yet in position to get more this season, but if he doesn't, and someone like Kingston Villiamuasa passes him up, then it's like, well, what, what, what's his path after that? Um, so I think this is a very important winter for Drake Bowen, um, which is tough because he's a two-sport athlete, and how, to, how does he figure out how to manage that? But I think um, this is a really important time for Drake Bowen to um, get in the shape he needs to to be able to push for that starting middle linebacker role for Notre Dame. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. As someone that – I think has a high ceiling, um, and uh, but the problem is the guy that's coming in behind him has a very high ceiling as well. Kingston Villamuasa being a five-star recruit. So, uh, what what are your thoughts on Drake Bowen? Yeah, I he's been on a lot of my lists, and he was on my list for this. And some of it was how is he going to handle winter workouts? How is he going to handle both 
the time before spring football starts, after spring football starts, and during it with baseball. He's on the baseball roster. They start their season in three weeks. Uh, they open up at Rice on February 16th with a three-game series there, and he's determined that he's going to continue this baseball experiment. Um, what surprised me a little bit, at 6'2", he showed up for winter workouts at 244. He was played at 234 last year. Um, and, you know, I know that Al Golden, the defensive coordinator, when I had a chance to talk to him in December, was really high on Drake Bowen at that point. And I think Drake could play either of those inside positions. The problem is there are other people that can play the well linebacker. So he would be, even if he moved over after Jack Kaiser left and and competed for the will, he not necessarily would be Jalen Sneed out for it, not necessarily beat out Bodie Cahoon for it. And they have this young wave of linebackers where it's going to be really competitive for spots. And I do agree that Kingston Villamuasa, when I was going through and picking out the best or I think the most compelling, most significant spring football battles. I think that's one of them. I think I had it number three, the middle linebacker battle. So yeah, I would agree with Drake Bowen. All right. Before we get into some of the other younger guys I wanted to talk about, I thought we could grab some questions here so we don't go too long without including sure. some questions. Uh, Jeffrey Stevens asked, what does Donovan Einish need to do to work into a D-line start or rotation position for the fall? I mean, keep doing what he's doing, but I think that he needs to put on a little bit more weight. He was 270 at the start of winter workouts. He was listed as 280 last year. So I think getting getting back up to that 280 position. Again, the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him, and he needs to make the most of Gabe Rubio not being there yes. this spring in terms of getting his reps in. But I think he's a guy the coaching staff has their eye on. Yeah, I think he might be a guy that we, as media members, overlook sometimes, um, which probably was the case for Kurt, his older brother at times too. Um, but Kurt obviously had a long long career for Notre Dame. Um, and, I, and I know he's someone that whenever I ask either Howard Cross or Riley Mills or some of those guys, even Gabriel Ruby or Jason Anne, they always speak highly of Donovan Heinish. Um, so he's doing a lot of things behind the scenes that I think is getting praise. Um, and we'll see if that can continue to develop and put him in a position to um, be one of those guys to take advantage of some playing time this, this coming season. Kurt always would say that before that Donna, before Donovan arrived, that Donovan was the better athlete. I think Kurt though has the crazy streak. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll see if Donovan can match that. That's a, that's a high bar to cross. Uh, Irish fan asked, could Emil Wagner be successful at less than 300 pounds? Makes me think of Alan Page, different position, I know. I, I don't I don't know that it's the weight as much as it's the mass and the strength to be able to hold up against some of these defensive ends and use that power. So I think the 300 pounds kind of reflects that power. He's six foot five. Um and if he could be successful at that weight, certainly he competed. They looked at him at a guard briefly during either spring or spring practices or August. He was kind of in the mix with the Pat Coogans and the Rocco Spindlers of the world. So if he played inside, maybe he could get away with it. I think as a tackle, you'd like a little bit more mass on that six, five frame. And I remember seeing him, in pictures when he would show up for visits and you're like, okay, who's that? Who's, is that a tight end? I mean, he, even now in the two eighties, I mean, he looks height weight proportional for somebody that's not necessarily a football player. Uh, but, uh, so my, my thought would be in a, in a good way, in a good, in a good way. way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> not like, um, Zach Yoakum, who will never be able to convince people that he's a college football player in a bar or something, a kicker. So, uh, but, uh, I, I think 300 pounds should be the goal for him. Yeah. I, I think, honestly, I think it, the, the mass is more important inside because 
those guys have a clear path to go straight to you to the quarterback. Um, and so you have to be able to hold up physically. Um, and I think that was something that Z Carell struggled with at times um, at Notre Dame. He just wasn't big enough. Um, and so sometimes would get bullied inside. Um, Emil Wagner, could he do it? I, I think you have to be elite at it like everything else. I think you have to be very good with your technique. Um, I think you have to, you have to be just as strong as any of those guys that are that size. That's the problem. Like it, it, it's one thing to be um, light, but you got to be that that strong to counteract that. But it's still like it does help to like it's harder to move someone who weighs that much more. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, there is a ways that he could combat that, um, but I do think he needs to get close to that number um, in order to be able to sort of maximize his abilities. Um, and do that uh, because it is it is going to matter. Um, but I think uh, um, he just has to sort of stay on track and um, figure out the best way to do it. It can't, it can't just be bad weight either. Like ten pounds of yeah. weight that does that isn't it does a fat like that's not really probably going to make a difference for him. But it has to be um, weight that that matters and that can allow him to still sort of take advantage of it, that his athleticism and um, execute the the techniques that he needs to to sort of strong arm a guy and keep a guy out um, and, and move laterally with him as well. He's, he's got good reach too. the thing is he's competing at the top of the depth chart against guys. Jagaza is six, seven and is in the three twenties. Tosh Baker is six, eight um, and Jagaza and Tyler, you could probably attest to this. They do um, when the offensive line does drills, they kind of drill against each other. Mm-hmm. And Jagaza in the drills is hilarious because he's just comically strong <laughs> on both sides of that drill. If he's the offensive lineman, it's funny yeah. to see him push people around. And when he's the defensive guy, it's he's really difficult to block and move. So it's it's he is comically strong and yet has incredible footwork. This is a heavyweight champion wrestler. And again, the only reason why they found out how bad his PCL was and that it needed surgery was he couldn't cut enough weight to get down to that heavyweight, you know, top heavyweight weight in Illinois. And he was running and trying to get down to that. And he went, well, I mean, knee just hurts too bad. And, and then they had to do surgery. All right. Um, back to my list. And now uh, a reminder, we went through guys that are need to take advantage of their winter workouts. And we went to some now or never guys so far. Um, now we're going to go with some younger guys that I think are in a position to make big strides. We mentioned Ubakar Traore earlier. Um, one guy that I don't know that many people would think of. I, my list is very heavy on the defensive side, but one guy I thought of on offense was Jaden Greyhouse. Um, I don't know how much he was able to like physically progress last year during the season because of his hamstring issues. Um, so I'm very curious to see what he looks like um, going into the spring with a good winter workout session to to get him to maybe maximize his athleticism um, and use his his rare combination of size and speed um, to be someone that's hard to guard. I think uh, it'd be interesting to see, like, especially now there's more competition at the field receiver position where he was spending time mostly out of default. But now, right. obviously, Jordan Faison has proven himself to be a very capable slot receiver, so there's some competition there. So. Um, I, I think this would be a, a good time for Jaden Greathouse to make some big strides going into next season. Joshua Burnham is another guy that I mentioned uh, on the opposite defensive end side. I think he has a good chance to be the number two guy behind RJ Oban at the field defensive end. Um, he's going to probably need to continue to get bigger, um, but I, he has the frame, I think. He is a guy that it's it's very natural for him to continue to get bigger. We've seen that as he transitioned from linebacker to Viper. And I think that'll continue that way um, on the other side of the field. Um, a couple of defense, th- three defensive backs. I wanted to mention safety Adon Schuler. Uh, he missed spring last year. Um, and I don't know that he was able to do much in the winter either. Um, so I think this is a good time for him to progress um, and, and do some good things. Uh, maybe, I mean, is there a world where he in the spring does so good? They're like, you know what? let's try Rod Hurd at, at nickel instead of moving him to safety. Adon Schuler can be our starting safety next to Xavier Watts. Um, I think this would be an interesting stretch for him. Um, then a couple cornerbacks, Christian Gray, I think we all know what he can do, and I think we have high expectations for him, and he showed flashes of that even as a freshman. 
Um, but to take advantage of a, a winter workout session to put him in position to push for a starting role this year. Um, and then Micah Bell is a guy that um, is a small guy, has great speed, um, but I think is uh, needs to continue to put on some weight and get stronger. Um, and so I think this is an important time for him as he continues to develop and and uh, put guys or, or put put himself in position to compete with guys as as a potential either nickelback or outside corner. So any, any guys I didn't mention or guys that I did mention that you disagree with or strongly agree with? I I can um, give you the rest of what was in my seven that where I blended the categories of returnees that they weren't necessarily now or never. Some of them were developing guys. So Josh Burnham was number two on my list. Luke Talich was number three on my list. And it was interesting because um, coach O'Leary had the safeties coach has said, Chris, that boy, we can't wait to see what kind of player Luke Talich at six foot four would be at around 210. He played in the 190s on special teams last year. He came back to school at 210. Now he's coming off a broken collarbone late in the season, but believed to be fully healed now and maybe gets up to 212, 215. Uh, Bubakar Traore was on my list. I had Rocco Spindler from an injury recovery standpoint. He was supposed to be mm -hmm. uh, back from his knee injury because he's going to have a lot of competition that he'll have to face. So he was on that list. I, I don't disagree with uh, any of the guys that you had to say. Adon Schuler is interesting because uh, – He's he dropped some weight. He played at 209 last year. He's at 200 right now. And I don't think that 209 was necessarily all good weight. He had shoulder surgery. You're right. He didn't get a lot out of the winter workouts because that was very early in winter workouts. A lot of these guys that are early enrollees, they come in and they have some kind of cleanup surgery from high school that they were playing with a chronically injured body part. And he's one of them. But, yeah, I, I think there's hope for him. There's hope for Ben Minnick to be in the rotation. And I think they'd like to have a little bit more depth there that they can count on. There's some very interesting freshmen. I think the most interesting is Bronte Johnson, who won't be here until June. So we'll shelve him, put him on the back burner there. But he'll still be at Fort Wayne Northside High School until June. But um, I thought that was a good list from you. Bravo. Uh, thank you. Uh, Chris W. mentioned Vernon Max. I don't know if that's too – am I mixing someone with Max? Um, but definitely Brennan Vernon, uh, I think, is in a position to make some strides. I think he could be moving to a defensive tackle position um, with, a, with a good winter workout, and um, I think there's some opportunity there to, to compete. So um, I'm very interested to see Brennan Vernon's development in the, in the coming months as well. He um... – I left him at the field end position, but he is getting up there. He's six foot five, two seventy four, starting uh, winter workouts, and so if he gets to two eighty, we may see him pop inside. I mean, he trained at both positions last year, but this is kind of the Riley Mills thing. It, I think, it helps your team. I don't know that it accelerates your development cross training. I guess it depends on the person. So I think at one point or the other, they need to kind of pick and then develop him at that position. All right. I got some more questions if you want to roll with those. Sure. Yep. Um, Keith Nagy asked, with the tight end position becoming so popular in the NFL, can you see Jaden Thomas transitioning in the near future? Boy, that would be a lot of weight to put on him. He's also 6'2". He's not 6'4", 6'5". Mm -hmm. uh, I've I don't know, you know, I haven't tried to project him and what is best for his NFL future. I kind of look at how does he fit in with helping Notre Dame. And I think what he does really serves Notre Dame well. He can block like a tight end. He can catch like a wide receiver. He's he's a handful when he's healthy in the boundary. He's, he's hard to deal with for a cornerback one-on-one -on -one just because he can, he's fast enough that you have to respect that, and he's muscly enough where you're not getting the ball away from him if he uses his body. So uh, I'll let Tyler answer the pro part of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think he'd probably be best served staying as a well-rounded receiver. I think there is there are offenses that really value those receivers that can block on the edge and even take on like defensive ends at times. I mean, even if you watch the the Lions and uh, 49ers game this past weekend, um, the 49ers do that stuff a lot. Even the the Lions do that stuff where they like if they're going to try to get the running back on the edge, they want to use. Um, a receiver to sort of chip a defensive end so they can get their defensive line or offensive lineman to the second level on guys. Um, and so I think Jaden Thomas has some value there. If he can continue to develop as a receiver. Um, I don't know that he's never going to be, I don't think he would ever get big enough to be a true like blocking tight end. So he would sort of have to be maybe, maybe be like a hybrid tight end. So I think that would be maybe slimming his chances to, to succeed at the NFL rather than, um, increasing them uh and get, uh, offenses will use wide receivers in creative ways too if they're capable of blocking it ben skaronic was playing some fullback at times for for the the same or los angeles rams excuse me um and uh so i think uh having the his blocking skills and his physical traits i think can be used as long as he can prove to be a, a reliable pass catcher and a productive pass catcher which he hasn't had a ton of opportunities to do last season because of his hamstring issues. Uh, another question is from Fred Laskowski. What criteria is used to determine player depth? I test PFF or just plain one-on-one. How do they keep it objective? I'm not sure that I understand the question. It's a player de- department or is it depth? He means depth there. Um, I guess I assumed it was depth. I don't know. Fred, if you are still tuned in and would, could help clarify that for us, that would be appreciated. Um, certainly. So how do they fix, fix the depth chart? How do they uh, assign that? Um, I'm going to guess that it's how you determine who's first, second, third, fourth on the depth chart. I mean, it's how you practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are some guys that, you grade on a curve because you say, this is what they're going to turn into, you know, like Kyle Hamilton, let's say he didn't have three interceptions the first day that he was at practice. (laughs) They look at the six, four kid that can run like that. And they would probably give him a little bit more wiggle room in terms of uh, making some mistakes because they knew what he would turn into, but eventually you have to play better than the guy in front of you. And, and it's who's productive in practice that determines who plays in games. And, and I think not your stars or anything else. And that's why you see guys like Pat Coogan rise to the top of the depth chart, a three-star, and why you see Tyson Ford, who was a high four-star, mm-hmm. maybe struggling because you need to do it in practice, practice performance. Yeah, I, I think all coaching staffs have pro football focus, but that's not what they're that's not what they're using that for. Yeah, I think the the grades are for us. They do their own grades. Uh, they will grade players based on their what they know that they want them to do. Um, so they have their own grading system, which PFF is supposed to be sort of mimicking what is a common grading system for um, for football, whether at the NFL or college level. I think it's mo- it was created for the, the NFL level. Um, but yeah, they do get. There's a, there's lots of behind the scenes stuff that PFF does with that is available to coaching staffs like film cutups and um, breakdowns right. of um, uh, what's the word I'm, tendencies uh, that either your team has or opponents that you're going to play will have. Um, so I think those are some of the things that um, staffs use PFF for. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not necessarily used for their own creating of the depth chart. There, I think there is some bias that comes into play, particularly when you're talking about guys that a coach recruited himself. Um, and if he's a relatively new coach and there's some guys that he likes and maybe there's some guys that are veteran players that haven't pushed through um, ahead of them, maybe they don't get some of that bias. I think a good coach can separate himself from that um, and find a way around that. But I, I think maybe that can lead to an opportunity opportunity for someone um and then they have to go out and, and play and prove it or disprove it um so someone that i i was i was always curious about was like jabron Payne, um a running back who was recruited by dylan mccullough at indiana followed him to notre dame um and i was 
he looked okay in practices, but there was always like a role for him. And I was like, well, would it, would, would he always have this role if he wasn't someone that um, Dylan McCullough had such strong connection to, but I think, I think Jabron Payne went out and proved that he could be a short yardage guy and that he can be good in third down scenarios and picking up blitzes. Now, I think people may argue whether or not Audrick Estime could have done some of that and vice versa. Um, but I think that sometimes that does play into the mind, even if they're trying not to do that. I think it does uh, um, come into the mind of the coaching staff. There's a couple, I would say there was probably more bias in terms of traits and body types and measurables in the Brian Kelly era than there is necessarily with Marcus, especially when Bob Diaco was the defensive coordinator, he wanted certain length and height in the mm -hmm. defensive alignment and so forth, certain traits. I think they, um, I think Sean Crawford wouldn't have got recruited under Bob Diaco. In fact, I think he was committed to Michigan at one point and, uh, and then he, then there was a change and he ended up getting recruited, but, um, there, there were exceptions. Sheldon day was a shorter guy. And I remember Brian Kelly talking about why he was at a, they were willing to take a guy like that out of profile just because he was so good at everything else that it kind of outweighed it. So again, sometimes if you're in profile in terms of height and weight, I think that's less of a concern with Marcus Freeman, but they are looking at the stopwatch. All right. Another question from Jeffrey Stevens with regards to potential rule changes for 2024. Do you think the Bush push short yardage play will be banned? Should it be due to injury risk? I haven't really thought about that a lot. I've seen it and it's just, um, you know, having been illegal for so long of my career and then all of a sudden been legal and becoming a thing. I don't know. I don't know that I like it. Um, what do you think, Tyler? You've, you've got probably more of an open mind on it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I they think, call it the tush push. Now. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, I guess it depends. And maybe I think you could probably outlaw all of it. Like one is the very specific, like the um, Philadelphia Eagles have sort of mastered um, with Jalen Hurts um, behind Jason Kelsey at center. Um, what they call the, uh, the brotherly shove, I think has been uh, what has been <laughs> nicknamed. Um, I like the names. So, and, and they're, and they're great at it. Um, and so it's been a very good weapon for them to pick up third and fourth short and for, third or fourth and shorts. Um, so I don't, I don't have a problem with that play. I think it's way harder to execute than those. Like some people make it look um, and it's not like, I think defenses do have a chance of stopping it. It's not, not some like impossible play to stop. Um, but obviously if you're the best team at doing it, which I think is sort of how offense works, if you're the best team at throwing the ball, sometimes the best defense isn't going to be able to stop you. Um, so I, I would need to know more about the injury. Can that, like, is there, is there any evidence that suggests that it is more of an injury risk? Um, now the, the thing that I, I think sometimes can maybe lead to some bad situations is sort of like, the piling on of pushing guys forward with like a running back that's sort of standing up um, because the offensive linemen are always going to look for someone to hit. And now they can hit their own sort of teammates to sort of give them a shove. Um, and so I think that can maybe create some dangerous situations and you never know if a guy's going to start to fall right when that guy comes in there. Um, so I, I think it, there's a fine line that I think players have to play and take advantage of that with. And I think refs have to officiate in terms of blowing it dead at certain points. If, if they're not getting forward progress, it's like, okay, the play's dead. Um, but let's not, let's not allow situations for guys to, to plow in there when um, there's no progress being made. So I don't know that it'll get outlawed unless there is some sort of significant data that would suggest um, that it should bring back, bring, bring back the fridge. <laughs> yeah, you were go. you around for i mean were you even uh, alive when the william refrigerator perry was doing that for the uh, uh i i am aware of it uh 85 is before my for okay. i was born in 89 yep. but i i am uh definitely aware that was fun i think i have something i have like a super bowl shuffle I, I maybe some sort of memorabilia over here for my grandpa Let, um, let's see how how 
much of a Bears fan. Where did William Refrigerator Perry go to college? Oh, I don't know. Um, is it Alabama? Clemson. Clemson. Okay. Same idea. Dabo Sweeney, whatever. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, let's get back to some of the other things we want to talk about. I don't have, I have one recruiting question that we can answer uh, later when we talk a little bit of recruiting. Um, so let's uh, continue with some of the other topics we wanted to get to. Okay. So let's talk about some of the newcomers that have to um, make some hay in the weight room or should make some hay in the weight room, have some opportunities and I'm throwing in the transfers, the six transfers in that group, along with the freshmen. Do you want me to start here, or do you want? Oh, yeah, to I'll let you start since I started with all of the other ones. Although I guess you did provide the original <laughs> list uh, previously, but at least on the show, let's let you let you start this for this. Well, game. I'm going to start with Riley Leonard. Riley Leonard had um, a couple of injuries last year. He had a high ankle sprain, and then when he came back from that, he had a turf toe injury. Um, I would assume he had some cleanup surgery after the season with Duke. And so he's got to be, you know, trying to get healthy and in shape. He missed a lot of time last year so that he can compete for that starting quarterback job. So he would top my list. And then the rest of the guys that I talk about are freshmen. I went with Bryce Young here because I think there's an opportunity for him to get into the depth chart at the field end spot. What surprised me was his height. He comes in at six foot seven and 241. If he can put on some good weight with that six foot seven height, I think that's going to be kind of fun to see him at that field end spot. I have a feeling that he's going to end up being inside later in his career. Akedron Young at six foot and 217, I think, there's a um, opportunity for him to maybe carve a niche as a short yardage back, although I know that Jabron Payne has been kind of the third down guy. Kedron has more of an Audric Estime type body. Certainly all the wide receivers, they don't, you know, you don't, especially the guys at the open field position, Micah Gilbert and Kim Williams. I don't know that it screams that they need to put on good weight or whatever, but, but certainly, you know, the burst in the weight room and being injury resistant, being able to compete with Chris Mitchell over there. Um, I think it's going to be important for Kim Williams and Micah Gilbert. And then for the long term, Logan Thomas, my goodness, six foot four, one ninety six. If he wants to be ready for twenty twenty five, he better get going right now. He's not going to be ready for twenty twenty four at one ninety six. Yeah, he always looked pretty skinny when I I'd seen him in person, so it, it wasn't totally surprising. Um, although the number is a little bit jarring when you see it on the depth chart next to the other guys. Um, I think you nailed all the incoming freshmen that I had in mind. Um, in terms of the transfers, RJ Oban came to mind for me. I think he needs to be ready to add some run stopping ability to his game. So I think some bulking up there um, in a good way would be of, of help um, for him. Uh, Jordan Clark, like, is can he prove to be the kind of athlete that Notre Dame needs at nickel? And I think that starts in the weight room. Um, so that's something that I'm curious about. Um, and then the, the one other guy um, would just be Kahanu Kia, just because he's coming back um, from his mission and, and getting back into a college strength training program um, to see where he's at. At 62219 is what he's listed at right now. Yeah, so to see where he's at physically and, and where he can go um, into the season. I think it's going to be curious, though. Do you think he ends up being a depth guy at linebacker, or do you think he will have a run at Viper, which is where he played when he was a freshman in 2021 and, and mostly on special teams, but he had some Viper snaps. I would, my instinct would be Viper um, unless, unless they really don't like their numbers in depth at linebacker. Um, he could maybe do the Jalen Sneed role last year of the past. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe something like that. Um, I, something that I had heard um, this off season is that when we talk about Vipers, um, so many of us are trying to find like the next Isaiah Foskey. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily who Notre Dame 
is looking for or profiles. Not that Isaiah Foskey was a flawed Viper, but they, they don't seem that as a realistic option. Op- there's not a lot of uh, Isaiah Foskey's out there. Um, and so they're okay with guys that are maybe a little bit undersized. Um, if they can hold up at the point of attack and, and show some pass rush ability, they're not going to all look like Isaiah Foskey. Um, so I think um, when I was asking about, I was asking around about maybe if RJ Oben is a Viper, they're, they're like, no, he's not, he's not a Viper. He's, he and he's a guy that has pass rushing ability. That, that's not someone um, that necessarily is considered a Viper in Notre Dame system, which I, which I think some people would think about um, if you're just talking about looking at his pass rushing numbers. All right. Well, I'm going to skip over what we're going to talk about next and save that for next week and go on to ongoing business. So All right. Notre Dame has announced a couple of new analyst hires. The one that really jumped out at me and you wrote a separate on is Trent Miles coming back to Notre Dame as an offensive analyst. Now, Trent has been at Notre Dame before. He's been a head coach. He also has spent time on coaching staffs with Mike Denbrock, what are your thoughts on Trent Miles being added to the staff as an analyst? Yeah, and also has a connection with Chris O'Leary being his former coach and then giving him his first job um, as a GA when he was the head coach at Georgia State. Um, That head coaching experience, I think, is important um, to have that on staff. I think some of the things that maybe – certainly like being the head coach at Indiana State and Georgia State is way different than being the head coach at Notre Dame, but – in-game situations that Unless you have, we call it Notre Dame State. Uh, in-game situations that you can learn from as the head coaches <laughs> at those places still apply. Joke. Um, so <laughs> Notre Dame State, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get Notre Dame State stickers printed out for you, Eric, and you can start selling them on, on our merch store. Um, so I think certainly his experience with Mike Denbrock is probably valuable. I, um the in-game advice, like I was saying, I think could be of some use. I'd, I'd like to think Mike Dembrock would be able to lend some of that as well. But um, I think it's good to have sort of a mix of varieties in terms of perspective and ages and experience in that in those analyst roles. Um, sometimes they can skew younger because, honestly, a lot of times the analyst uh, salary isn't very high. Um, and the, it's a it's a role that a lot of guys can use as sort of a springboard to move forward in the profession. Um, but there's also room for guys that have experience and maybe around the tail end of their coaching careers that can um, provide value and maybe um, get back in a spotlight of some sort to use it as a launching board for themselves to maybe uh, spark a, a back end of, to their career as well. So um, that's not to say anything about where Trent Miles is with his age. I believe, if my memory serves, I think I said he that up but uh i think uh um this is a a good opportunity for trent miles and it it seems like something that will be of of value to notre dame as well i don't think mike denbrock would be bringing him along if he didn't think he was valuable right yeah well and and that's one of the things that i like about it i mean he's bringing in trent i'm obviously mike denbrock had a hand in this so it's not somebody that's coming in with experience that's going to clash with Mike Denbrock, although it's hard to imagine that happening, but but uh, he's not going to clash with them. They're going to be on the same page. I like it because we've been advocating for someone like this. I mean, it's always been David Cutcliffe. He's not as old as David Cutcliffe for an experience, but he does have a lot of the qualities from a standpoint of a guy that's headed, you know, FBS programs that can lend that knows Notre Dame and that can say, okay, here's how to not have 10 guys on the field at the end of the game. Here's some ways to deal with crowd noise from my time at Notre Dame. Here are some infrastructure things that I think are going to be good ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love Trent Miles being one of the analysts and I agree. I think it needs to be a mix of both guys that are on their way up with some fresh ideas, guys that have been around that have the answers that maybe fell through the cracks when there was so much institutional knowledge walking out the door after Brian Kelly left. What do you, is there value? He's been a a receivers coach um, in the past. Uh, Do you think there's a value that he can bring specifically for Notre Dame's receivers? Why not? I mean, Mike Denbrock has been a receivers coach too. I think Mm -hmm. 
kind of the more eyes that you can get and you talk in the meeting room and say, because you have a lot of guys that you have to develop and that field receiver position is so important. So yeah, I could see him being a, a really, really valuable guy. You're cracking up for some reason, but <laughs> I, well, I, it's in the chat. Chris, Chris said, thanks for, he complimented us. I had told him, thanks for participating. Tell your friends. And he said, what friends? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're your friends, Chris. Yeah, we you can be tell your friends. Us. <laughs> I guess we'll, we'll be tell us friends. People. At least Facebook friends. <laughs> so. All right, okay. what else do you want to talk about? Okay, so um, Gabe Rubio, this was kind of happening around the time we did Football Never Sleeps, but I think it was right after. Gabe Rubio, we referenced it early in the show he's going to miss the spring attending to personal matters do you think that notre dame still has enough quality and quantity if gabe rubio didn't come back and i think our anticipation is that he will be on the roster in the fall yeah i think so i mean i mean we were all we were a pretty big advocate for jason anye and that didn't necessarily come to fruition last season he had some opportunities um, so I think this just creates even more opportunity for him. Um, and then I, I'm curious how it all shakes out. Does Anya become more of a nose tackle than defensive tackle? Um, and wherever he fits, I think that probably um, decides where the next opportunity is. Is it Davin Heinish and Devin Houston as nose tackles that have a chance to sort of rise and take advantage of this opportunity? Or is it Tyson Ford and, and maybe a Brennan Vernon at defensive tackle? that can take advantage of this opportunity. So um, I think uh, there are guys in waiting in the wings to try to take advantage of this. It's not ideal, but if he's back for the season, um, then uh, I think it, it could be in, in a weird way, uh, good uh, in the long run, because those guys have gotten even more experience in the spring. And then about the same time, because I had to do both these stories, Andrew Kristofik, <laughs> We'll move into the business world with a bachelor's degree and a master's, and we'll turn down his COVID year exemption for a sixth year of eligibility. Were you surprised by the move, and does this affect Joe Rudolph's plans at offensive line? Um, I would say no and no. Uh, <laughs> behind the scenes, we do a lot of like pre-writing of guys that we could either see transferring out or getting a medical redshirt or whatever, just no longer being with his program. And Andrew Kristofik is someone that we've had prepared for quite some time just because it just didn't seem like there was a lot of upward trajectory left in his Notre Dame career. Um, so um, happy for him to be pursuing something he wants to be doing. Um, and I don't think it necessarily impacts what uh, Joe Rudolph had in mind for, for Notre Dame's offensive line moving forward. Yeah, I, he was a nice guy to have because he could play a lot of different positions and so forth. He had starting experience, but I do think they have enough good prospects they can train as a backup center or backup guard or whatever. You know who I thought of as a backup center? And tell me if you think I'm crazy on this. That just popped in my head was Sam Pendleton. What would you think of him kind yeah. of being groomed there? Okay. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's uh, reasonable. Um, I saw when I was the last men's basketball game I covered, I saw Sam Pendleton, Joe Odding. And uh, Sullivan Absher all together. It looks like they were heading to the student section, so they looked uh, looked in good shape. Looks like winter workouts are are treating them well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Sam Pendleton uh, could do that, and that's someone I, I know that Notre Dame is, was high on, and I think he was given some opportunities to sort of be on the fringe of that guard uh, competition uh, last year. Okay, so the next thing that we want to talk about is the Senior Bowl. The Senior Bowl comes up this Saturday at 1 o'clock Eastern time. There are four Notre Dame guys, I believe, that are on the roster for the game. Sam Hartman, J.D. Bertrand, Maris Leofau, and Cam Hart. The practices are often more important than the game itself, at least at some positions. A lot of the scouts go home before the game. Happens. Yeah, the, the players treat it that way too. Sometimes yeah. there's uh, there's senior bowl game opt outs. They'll practice and then they won't play in the game. So of those four Notre Dame guys that I mentioned, who do you think is in the position to help themselves the most this week? My answer is Maris Leifau. Um, I'm curious if you agree with me there. I think he, of those four guys, is probably the most 
enigmatic to me. Like what, what is he? Um, why was he the way he was during his career? Did he maximize his abilities? What's left in his career? What, what's his best fit position wise? Um, I think he, he has some interesting athletic traits that could um, be attractive to NFL pro- scouts. Um, so I think he was, he was the guy that I thought was above the rest in terms of have, having the most to gain here uh, this week. What do you think? After hearing your reasoning, I kind of like that answer. Um, he was the guy that I was most surprised that got invited to the senior bowl. I thought mm-hmm. he would be, I mean, given the fact that Javante Jean-Baptiste wasn't invited, um, that he was a tear down with the um, Shrine Bowl, mm-hmm. surprised me. So I can agree with that. Just kind of looking at J.D. Bertrand, I think J.D. Bertrand is what he is, a tremendously productive, smart, and better athlete than you think, but at six foot one, you know, how does he project into the NFL? I think two guys that can help themselves. I, this was my initial answer were Kim Hart and Sam Hartman and not just because hearts in their name. <laughs> um, I think Sam Hartman left a lot of, okay, where is he now? He played in a different system. He was up and down his, end of the year statistics actually were pretty decent. He was 14th in the country in passing efficiency. Is he a pro quarterback? Kim Hart played really well. Um, I think if Ben Morrison wasn't on the team, we would have noticed it more or, or people outside of Notre Dame would have noticed it more at six foot three and about two Oh five. If he can practice well, if his measurables, his 40 time and, things of that nature. And if his medicals check out, I think that's the biggest thing. He had so many shoulder issues during college. He had one real healthy season. Uh, I think he can maybe help himself, but again, it may be his x-rays or his MRIs that are the most impressive or not most impressive thing for him. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Bertrand, if he, like you said, he's more athletic than maybe people think. If maybe he can prove that in front of some of the eyes there, maybe that could be a value to him as well. But uh, it's definitely good opportunities for all those guys to get down there and, and prove themselves. Okay, did you want to take the recruiting question now before we yeah. talk about recruiting um, briefly? Yeah, and let me throw in this other one from Irish fans since it's uh, was on topic of something we were talking about earlier with analysts. Um, did they hire another analyst from Oklahoma State? And that is correct. Uh, Casey McHugh is his name. Um, he was a defensive graduate assistant um, working with linebackers at Oklahoma State last season. He's a young, younger guy, a 2016 grad of RPI, um, Rensselaer Poly, Polytechnic Institute, um, a Division three school. Um, he's worked at Delaware, Delaware Valley University, um, and he spent his most time, he spent f- four seasons um, at Old, Domin- Old Dominion as a quality control coach and a graduate assistant and so he'll be a defensive assistant um for uh or defensive analyst for al golden uh side of the ball for notre dame this coming season and then the recruiting question is from jeffrey stevens are uh, are you surprised being me uh we don't have any commitments yet from the junior recruiting day um i would say no i'm not necessarily surprised i i it indicated to both folks on the, the entire lounge and probably elsewhere uh, that my understanding is that Notre Dame didn't necessarily receive any silent commitments during the official vi- or during the junior day weekend. Um, and so it wasn't a matter of these guys just going home and figure out when they're going to announce the commitment that they've already made. So um, I, I, there's still, there's a visit window that guys are finishing up here in the winter. And then maybe after that, I think this may be when some guys will settle down and say, okay, do I want to make a decision now or do I want to push into the spring and make some more visits um, and maybe even hold out for official visits into April and into the summer? So um, I think uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too concerned about it or, or surprised either way. OK, so um, coaches are back out on the road for one more week. I think this is the last week that they can do it for a while. Um, anything significant going on in the recruiting realm right now? Uh, Notre Dame's just out continuing to work the trail, uh, see some guys that they either have committed or are trying to get commitments from in the in the junior class. 
Um, Which has 14 Yeah, 14 commitments. They're number one in the country with 11 four-star recruits and three three-star recruits. Um, that's a 3.7 star average, which is just a tick underneath uh, the 2024 class, which finished with a 3.83 star average. Um, Notre Dame currently has three top 100 2025 class commitments and finished with five top 100 guys in the 2024 class. So on on a good pace there, we you see the number one, you know that that's not necessarily going to hold, um, but a good foundation for this class for Notre Dame to continue to push forward and try to push up higher into the top 10 um, uh, by this time next year um, with the, with this past class finishing um, ranked ninth in the country. Okay. Any more questions or. I don't think so. I think those are all our questions. Well, um, I want to thank, Legacy Heating and Air. I want to thank you guys for all your questions and your comments and jokes and <laughs> status on your friends. And uh, I want to remind you to use the code NDYT for a free 30-day trial of Inside ND Sports. We have a lot of premium content this time a year. So if you want to read the premium stuff in addition to the free stuff, we really appreciate you joining us. There's a lot of fun stuff on the message board. Our people are way more sane than most of the other message boards you probably <laughs> experienced. I think we're smarter. not always, <laughs> not always. I think they're smarter too. They're nicer to me than they are to Tyler. <laughs> and Tyler, I'll let you finish up. Yeah, make sure you like, subscribe, uh, rate, review, do it all. Share, share uh, our feed with your friends. Um, we'll could try to continue to be live on Monday night next week. Um, we'll do an Inside Any Sports podcast over on our podcast feeds on Thursday. Um, and, yeah, we appreciate the support. Um, and uh, c- hopefully you continue to stick with us. We'll always have plenty to discuss about Notre Dame football. That's why we're called Football Never Sleeps. Um, and we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>